Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1050, air date March 16th, 2022. So just give me a little bit of a background, Doug, what this is for, because we get a, um, a number of different calls. So just give me a little bit of background before we start. So I, we're working on a very long article about the election integrity movement um, for uh, ProPublica. Do you, do you know uh, who ProPublica is? I do. Yeah, I used to have a friend of mine many, many years ago uh, that worked with them. This is back almost like, Jesus, 10 years ago. organization um, we mostly do investigative work um you know we would be considered the mainstream press um and you know we've been trying to sort of trace how these ideas about the stolen election have you know where they came from and then how they rose and it's much it's like sort of like an intellectual history sort of trying to follow it from the you know um november 3rd until basically now and just sort of trying to understand to like take it seriously as a movement, the way that we would take, you know, any other political movement that's transforming the country seriously. Um, you know, I've got to be upfront. <laughs> uh, you know, we do not think the election was stolen. Um, we've done a lot of work on that, but we want to hear, you know, hear the voices of the people who have like really passionately dedicated themselves to this cause and understand why you all, um, I've been working so hard on this because I, my guess is it's probably not been the easiest road to go. Um, so if you, if you're willing, I'd, I'd love to just, uh, just hear about your experience. And then, you know, we've talked to a number of people you've crossed paths with and, and just sort of, you know, cross check our understanding of, of that from their point of view with your point of view. Yeah, that's fine. Doug, do you mind if I record this? Because I get so many different calls, you know, I take a very different position on this whole thing. Um, is that all right yeah. with you? Um, we'll, yeah, I'm happy. We'll, we will record as well. And you're, you're welcome to record. Um, if, if, if that works. Yeah, because, yeah, because, um, I always like to do that because there are, it looks like the world has become so shattered into people taking these very pro anti positions on everything. And I think the world is actually more nuanced. And so I like to, uh, um, record this because where I'm coming from, on this is very, very different than what you've probably experienced out there because I went on ProPublica site and there's something written on Bannon calling it like climate deniers, election deniers. And so it looks like ProPublica already, like you said, and I appreciate you being honest, has already taken some position. And when people have taken a position, it's hard for them to see any nuances. So that's sort of me being upfront with you. Yeah, well, no, I, I, um, I appreciate that. And I, I very much, you know, I want to sort of express, you know, uh, you know, where we're coming from, you know, we've done an extraordinary, especially for this article, you know, we've done a, just a ton of work, you know, from what we've seen, we have not seen proof of a stolen election. Um, so I, I, you know, it's, it, it, that opinion is based on, uh, quite a bit of research and reporting, but again, you know, we want to get to the truth. So, you know, we want to hear, but everyone has to say, and um, I'd love to, you know, tell me about your nuance. Tell me, tell me how you got involved. Well, yeah. So first of all, let, let me give you my background because I, I never voted in my life. 
I've been a citizen of the United States since 1983. So I think the it's hard for people who are looking at it from the outside unless they walk in someone's shoes. So I'm not sure if you understand India has a caste system. Are you familiar with that? I know you hung around with the Indonesian tribes people or in Indonesia, but I, I, um, I have a, I've, I've spent a little time in, in, in India and have yeah. a very, very late knowledge of such. Things. Yeah. So my, my yeah, I don't, to, to, yeah, to me, it's from an, you know, my, where I come from, my people are those tribes people. Okay. So I grew up in a small village in India, separate from Bombay, but India has a uh, awful caste system, which still exists. And we were considered untouchable. So the fact that my parents made it here was quite extraordinary. So, uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I came to MIT in 1981. And I quickly realized as, as a young kid, um, that there was a hypocrisy, particularly among the left and the right. And, uh, in 1984 is when I saw Jesse Jackson run. I don't know how old you are for office on a, on a left anti-establishment movement called the Rainbow Coalition. And, um, the establishment politicians were Reagan and, um, Mondale. And all of us who were young idealists were very, very excited by Jesse Jackson. At the last minute, he gives all of his votes to Mondale, you know, talking about the lesser of two evils, et cetera. So that's when I realized that both of the establishment parties essentially work together. And I, I was an activist at MIT and, uh, it's hard for white liberals in the media to understand this because they can't fathom it. A dark skinned Indian guy, uh, it, they can't even walk in those shoes. So there's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT. I organized the biggest student movement against MIT's investments in South Africa. We organized food service workers too. Anyone at that point, they would think I was a far lefty. Um, but I never voted because I had come to the conclusion most of these elections, in my view, never really allowed outsiders to get in or you have to be co-opted. And there, and I'm not the only one who's talked about this. There's many, many other scholars who've talked about this. Um, so when Trump ran in, in 2016, um, is the first time I ever voted. And I was, I registered as an independent subsequent and then decided to run against Elizabeth Warren, primarily for one singular reason, because of the hypocrisy of the white liberal elite, who are the same people who talk a good game. They want to help the poor dark people or women and minorities. But ultimately, um, what they really want to do is to cage people in a segregated, uh, space of how they want to think what is racism. And uh, the issue of race hasn't fully been discussed in this country because white liberal elites have owned that discourse. Elizabeth Warren, in my view, was a racist. She used race. To me, that it's the exploitation of race. So we ran against Warren and the Republican establishment in Massachusetts did not like me. So we had to run as independents. And so we ran. We had a great campaign. And then the next year, I decided to run as a Republican Uh Again, the Republican establishment did not want an outsider because um, I wasn't part of their club. Uh, so in in 2020, when we ran, we had 3,000 volunteers on the ground, truly a bottoms-up movement. I would say 60 70% of our people came to us were independents who never voted, a lot of women. Our movement was truth, freedom, and health, integrating the movements for you know free speech, integrating the movements for innovation and and uh what i felt 
with the passage of the Mansfield Amendment was the attack on science and then integrating health, you know, um, uh, real health where you integrate a systems approach to looking at the body. So that, the, and so we had, you know, we put up 20,000 lawn signs, 10,000 bumper stickers. We were everywhere. Um, if you came to Massachusetts, the brand Dr. Shiva was quite well known. And the word on the street was um, landslide. Now, on September 1st, 2020, by the way, this is before Trump even got involved in this. We noticed that in the hand counted county, uh, Franklin County, I win by 10 points and every other county was 60, 40, 60, 40 to a guy who was running, who no one even knew his name. So that started my journey to understand how all of these elections work. It didn't feel right. Didn't seem right. So I put on my hat as an engineering systems guy who has built many, many systems all over uh, throughout my entire life. Um, and I don't think you will typically have, first of all, engineers and scientists aren't supposed to run for office. I don't know how many, uh, scientists. I think there's one micro, microbiologist in, in the, in the, in the legislature right now, the national level. So I discovered something, started understanding how these election systems worked. Um, and one of the things I found out was that 52 USC 20701, which was passed by a Democrat majority was to encourage election audits. It was not un-American, which is what the mainstream press and a lot of very either ignorant people in Congress have promoted. It was created that we would support a very vibrant democracy. And one of the par parts of 52 USC 20701 was that all records generated in connection with the federal election are supposed to be preserved for 22 months. So I went to the Secretary of State's office with one of our volunteers and I said, I would like the ballot images. Are you familiar with those? What, what that is, Doug? I am aware, yeah. Yeah. So the ballot images are what is generated when a paper ballot is scanned. Uh, by the way, Trump doesn't even know what ballot images are, okay, in my meeting with him. Um, so I'm glad you know what they are, but it, I would say 90% of politicians probably don't even know what those are. So ballot images are generated, and I asked for them. And the election officer said, oh, we don't have those. We deleted that. We turned that feature off, which is a feature that is the default feature on voting machines. That then led to me having a series of interactions with the Secretary of State of Massachusetts. In email, they are acknowledging they deleted them and they don't have to preserve them by Massachusetts law. That may be true for a state election, but not for a federal election. When I shared those four emails, on the internet, on my Twitter account, I had close to 2 million people. Uh, but on Twitter, I had, a, I think, about a 400,000. Um, I was suspended. And a organization which claims to do fact-checking um, misreported that I said ballots were deleted. I said ballot images. Big difference. And But in that article, this quote-unquote fact-checking organization um, had said that it was the Secretary of State in their interview who had contacted who had contacted uh, Twitter. Okay. And by the way, at that point, I was running still for Senate in a write-in campaign. We moved our campaign into that. So um, clearly, this was a violation of the First Amendment, violation of political speech. So I could not find a lawyer here. I filed a lawsuit pro se. And I successfully, it was me against three lawyers, uh, got my uh, temporary restraining order, all the terms of it passed by the federal judge. And in that hearing, 
that occurred, which by the way, none of you guys should have covered if you want to do investigative journalism. I think you guys should go check this out because what occurred in that hearing was we found out in cross-examination, the social media director, um, she was, I think, concerned about perjury. She uh, shared with the judge and I that the government has a special portal, a VIP portal to Twitter called the Partner Support Portal, where they can escalate things much better than you or I can. And they had used that portal to alert them that I was spreading disinformation, which is saying that ballot images were deleted, which they were. The judge was appalled. He said, you know, I may be 70 years old, but I still believe in the First Amendment. He told, he ordered them not to contact Twitter. And that was in the middle of my federal election campaign. And I get back on Twitter on November 4th, interesting enough, right after the election. And I continue tweeting. And on February 1st, when I shared again those four emails, I was thrown off again. That led me to going back into court, again, pro se. And this time the judge ordered Twitter to show up. This was now it was me and seven attorneys. And the night before that May 20th hearing, I had found what was called the playbooks that were created at the Harvard Belfer Center, which was playbooks which are essentially a domestic censorship infrastructure, which create an unholy alliance between government and big tech. Big tech gets blamed a lot, but government and big tech have created an alliance where they can report on private citizens. In fact, in that playbook, it clearly says that if anyone says that an election official is corrupt, you will go on a watch list. All right. So all of this occurred before, you know, th this is this is in May of last year. But our campaign had moved to, uh, you know, across Massachusetts. We, you know, continued our write-in campaign. And I started doing different analyses on what I found as a scientist, as an engineer, on different anomalies I saw. And those got picked up by different institutions. Um, and I got calls from the Republican Party, Mark Meadows. Um, and I, and it was interesting because my stuff was going viral on its own without any of the Trump people. By the way, Trump never supported our campaign, never helped us in any way, for the record. Um, ours was truly a grassroots movement, which, if anything, was uh, um, not in alignment with the Massachusetts GOP. So when those guys called us, we said, look, we can do more analysis, give us data. They never gave us data. This is on, I think, November 5th. Meadows called me and then Rona McDaniel called me. And then, in fact, Eric Trump reached out to me. But we never got data from any one of them. And we continued our analysis. And then um, I had organized what I felt was that this was really a systems problem that when you look at this, this is a complex engineering system. The election system is no different than the transportation system, the healthcare system. There's many, many parts to this. There's many points of uh, failure and no one had ever taken a systems approach to this. It's always been, you know, sort of a reductionist approach. So uh, in when the Arizona audit took place, I was asked to do what's called the ballot image analysis because one of the companies I started back in 1993 was, you know, my field has been in the area of pattern recognition and artificial intelligence. Um, back in when I was a kid, I created the first email system. We're not talking about the exchange of text messages. We're talking about the system as we know it today, inbox, outbox, et cetera, before I came to MIT. But in 1993, while I was in the middle of my PhD, I was asked to participate in a competition that when Bill Clinton was in office to automatically analyze uh, President Clinton's email, I ended up winning that, left MIT in the middle of my PhD and started a 
very successful company called EchoMail, which did all types of analysis, email analysis, image analysis. Um, and uh, so we had quite an amount of pattern recognition technology. So we were asked to do the image analysis of the ballots. And an organization which the which had been recruited to do that was an organization called Cyber Ninjas was the audit organization, which you may be familiar with in Arizona. I'm aware. Yeah. So the Cyber Ninjas organization uh, subcontracted us to do the ballot image analysis. And at that point, we um, were supposed to get the ballot images and we get the ballot images and 70% of them are actually corrupt. And Cyber Ninja said, oh, they're encrypted. And I said, they're corrupt. And we have all the data to show that they were corrupted. And then uh, we said, when are you going to get us the actual images? Well, we never got anything from them. In fact, they went into radio silence, but they put out a message saying that the county had given them corrupted ballot images, which I found, frankly, hard to believe at that point. So uh, we disengaged with them because um, we felt something was a little bit off. And subsequently to that, we were asked to do the analysis of the envelopes. So the envelopes um, in Maricopa, what was interesting was close to 93% of the ballots were by mail, mail-in ballots. Um, and the ballots travel in something uh, alongside an envelope, uh, an affidavit, where the voter signs it. Um, this is a little bit different than the military envelopes, which may come through email. They're called UACAVA, a little bit different. So... We got every one of the envelope ballot images and we, um, what happens in, in, in practice is the envelopes, first of all, are imaged by a company called Runback. And then before they're opened and tabulated, which I'm not sure if you're aware with, but the process they go through, Doug, do you know the process that they go through? So I don't. I am generally aware of it, but run, run me through it again. What happens is, and, um, is the envelopes are scanned and the images of the envelopes uh, are, first of all, put onto a, a server. And, um, the first thing that happens is trained novices who get, I think, a couple hours of training on how to uh, do signature verification look at these on one screen. They have side by side juxtaposed the image of the envelope signature. So for example, Doug Clark, right? And on the other side, they have your signature from your voter registration files. And they have uh, four to 30 seconds to make a decision if those match. If they match, then the envelope is open and is processed and it's have it. If they do not match, then it goes through a process called curing. Um, curing was established as a compromise in 22 states where if the images don't match, you give the voters another chance to rectify that. So you either call them, bipartisan committees, review them, et cetera. So we were, the scope of our work was not to do that machine learning of that signature verification, but rather to see if there was even a signature in the envelope or if it was a scribble, et cetera. So that's what we presented at the um, Senate. And we noticed different anomalies. We never said that there was fraud because we looked at it from a systems approach. And our position was that um, the politics of simply denying, uh, which is what's happened right now, you have one group which 
denies election fraud or election integrity. So there's another uh, group, which is essentially, in my view, grifting on it and making a lot of money off of it, which I have a problem with also. But no one's taking a systems approach. So we said, look, here's some anomalies. Uh, for example, the number of ballot images was never reported in the Canvas report. And we found about 17,133 duplicate images. And we said, hey, what is this? And the county said, oh, Dr. Shiva doesn't know what we're doing. We have a process called curing. And curing is this process that they disclose. But it's, the images numbers still didn't add up. Um, then the third project we were asked to do more recently was to do the signature verification analysis. Now, in the middle of this, in December, after the audit's over, because I was persistent, I was pretty much ticked off that the Cyber Ninjas guys never gave us the ballot images. We finally got the ballot images directly from the Senate. This was after the audit's over. And we came to learn that Cyber Ninjas has always had, they had two sets of images, one, the disk image, but they also always had the ballot images. And in my view, they had given testimony, which wasn't frankly accurate, saying that the county had given them corrupted images. They had the images. And within about three weeks, we went through the images. And, you know, we did a multi-part analysis. First, we looked at the, the ballot images when they're analyzed. First, what happens is the artificial intelligence on the machines is the one that is determining, you know, if a circle is filled in, if it's an undervote, an overvote, a write-in, or ambiguous. So the first thing we did was the we looked at the post-adjudicated results compared to the canvas. And obviously, those should match perfectly, and they did. Then we looked at the pre-adjudicated results, which is essentially the AI says, hey, these are good votes, you know, solid votes. And the others are what, you know, it kicks off in, in, in AI, we call the supervision, supervise, where it needs a human being to look at. And those were, I think, about 165,000 or something like that that need to go to a human. So the pre-adjudicated and the post-adjudicated, we found some very interesting anomalies, which we reported to the attorney general. But one of the key things we found there is, I would say most legislatures, legislators, don't even know how the AI is determining what's a vote or not a vote. In the old days when human beings counted it, you knew how much was filled in, et cetera. So one of the... Uh, the things that we proposed out of that analysis what, was that legislators, there should be legislation which clearly makes it clear that it's not private corporations which are deciding what's a vote or what's not, that it should be mandated from, from the legislators. So that's one of the pieces. But the important thing that came out of that was, you know, when our AI ran against, this was what's called different voting vendors have different things, a Dominion AI, we discovered that there were, we agreed typically on all of the 1.91, except 15,000. And our position was if they had done the ballot images, first of all, it would have saved tremendous amount of money and they could have probably saved themselves $8.9 million. You know, it's more like when you do a biopsy, you don't go opening up the person. Um, so that was one of the results of that. And so that was a ballot image analysis, which, which, which we filed. And then more recently, we actually did the envelope. Um, I think one of the documents I sent you has that the extended study, where we did an initial pilot study. And what's fascinating is in the literature over the last hundred years, you'll find out that there's lots of stuff looking at um, what are called questionable documents in this space, what's called forensic document examination. But no one has put side-by-side -side images and done an analysis on these with humans. It's been done with one image and many images, you know, that kind of thing. 
So we initially uh, did three novices and three forensic document examiners. We did a very small pilot study at about 95% confidence. We found out that there was such a higher mismatch rate than what had been reported. And our estimate was around 200,000 should have been cured. Okay. Uh, two, two very interesting uh, data points for you. The Atlantic, um, David Graham over there, very thoughtful writer. Uh, a couple of years ago, he wrote an interesting article on what he called signature verification was phrenology. Um, and it was uh, witchcraft. The LA Times, a couple of the investigative journals have done some good work there showing that it's actually um, wrought with errors. But no one has figured out how much. There hasn't been any real studies on a signature mismatch, right? So that was, it, it, to our uh, understanding, the first study of its kind. And then we did a larger study more recently with 2,700 samples. And we, in fact, we weren't given the actual signatures, the voter registration, so we had to get them from deed signatures. And in fact, anything that was completely non-matches, we threw those away to be... Uh, to be, um, uh, you know, those ones which didn't match perfectly. And which means that we were taking a conservative approach um, on when things didn't, you know, uh, perfectly match. So at the end of that day, we found out about 215,000 signatures, um, uh, about 215,000 signatures um, should have been cured, Okay. So our, our end point in that was that the signature verification process, which both the left and the right, it's interesting, have agreed on if something's wrong, but we had calculated an official mismatch rate. So that's the recent work we've done. And those two uh, studies have been accepted to two symposium and also to two you know peer-reviewed journals. So our approach is about a year ago, I started Election Systems Integrity Institute with the feeling that the typical academic model is to deny anything's a problem. And, uh, but there are systems issues. And what's interesting is we have found people on the left and the right. In fact, people who voted for Hillary, people who voted for Biden, both agreeing with us on this. And we need to take a systems approach, not this yes, no pro anti approach. So that's where I'm coming from. And I've been pretty vociferous against a lot of the grifters out there who in many ways are actually, you know, making it sort of a layup for guys like you to just basically do articles which say, hey, everything's okay. These people are just crazy people. Let's move along. There are systems issues. I mean, it is a complex thing. Like there are, you know, there are, like, it's, it's very, very difficult to check out every single possible thread of what's sort of going on, right? So we try and do as wide a, a wide a you know range as we can, and um, you who know, do you, a lot of this stuff. Uh, Doug, who do you have on your team? Who do you have on your team? Is a pretty. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Unsubstantiated. I said some of this stuff when we dig into it comes out to be pretty unsubstantiated. Um, but I understand, you know, you're you're. You're well, sort of presenting yourself as doing this from a systems approach and, and, um, well, not presenting myself, not presenting myself, not presenting myself. Yeah. Look, the problem is what's happened is that, um, you literally have three areas in this. You have the people who just want to deny this. There's no problem. Move along. And that's not right. 
Then you have people who are grifting on this, either to sell pillows, either raise money. Um, uh, and these people are bringing up issues and made claims, which are just garbage, you know? Um, when, and I think this needs to be addressed because in some ways, those individuals and people are hurting what 52 USC 20701 was really for. It was really the spirit of it was that we really do real audits and understand, you know, issues. Um, you know, a, a, a friend of mine many years ago, Ron McNair, who was one of the astronauts, died in the space shuttle Challenger. And um, he was an alumni at MIT. And when Alan McDonald brought up the issue with the O-rings, you know, everyone attacked him. And he said one of the most important things is to say the right thing at the right time. It's a small issue, but it could blow up engineering systems. Most of the people involved in this, and I don't know the people at ProPublica who are doing this analysis, if they even have an engineering systems background, um, don't understand it. They're probably, you know, whoever is doing this just to say, oh, Mike Lindell's crazy and blah, blah, blah. Let's just do a, a hit job on them and we're done. And that's also the you know, sort of the dialectic of that. But there is a third piece, which are looking at this from a systems approach um, to identify the issues that can probably unify this country on real issues. And one of them is chain of custody. That's a big elephant in the room. Signature verification. The fact that we are outsourcing our counting of votes or that process to black boxes which legislators should under, you know, understand. It's, it's a big area of law right now, AI and law and AI and policy, what that's going to mean. And that's the position I'm coming from. You know, I recently did a thing. There's a guy out there. His name is Fulia, P-H-I-L-Y-A. That's his official name, Jovan Pulitzer, who has just been putting garbage out. And when I was invited to the cyber symposium, I wasn't going to go. And if, and what I talked about was our lawsuit, but when, Mike Lindell reported that, you know, the Trump things were affected by Chinese, uh, what is it? I think people out there and the numbers he had comes out. The number that he reported was, if you look at the numbers, was 4.2%. I don't know if you saw those numbers. And I, you know, I was on Steve Banish. I said, you know, you know, either someone's playing with Mike or someone knows read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And what's really fucked up is that organization said that I'm saying the Hitchhiker's Galaxy was used when I was actually making fun of it. So again, this is a problem we have in very uh, poor reporting where people are taking this left and right side. And this is, and you know, the divisiveness continues when there are real systems issues. And I think what people didn't expect is someone like me who actually has engineering degrees, systems degrees participating in this, taking a much more pedantic approach. So, you know, I hope ProPublica you know, if you're doing investigative journalism, brings this aspect of it out, or if it's just going to be, you know, there's two sides and we're done, let's move along, which would be unfortunate. Um, well, I appreciate you pointing out the 4.2%, um, because I, I had not been aware of your interview personally, but I had noticed that it was 42. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and so, so I, and, and so when I, you, uh, yeah, I was literally up there. I Well, no, I was, I was appalled at that. I was appalled at the cyber symposium because it was just garbage grifting. 
And when I was there, I talked about my lawsuit. That's what I focused on. It was much more substantive. And then Mike said, you know, we're going to now release the results. And if you look at the results, it was, you know, I had my little spreadsheet open. I put it the results and you divided what he said and what they actually had. It was exactly 4.2%, Doug. And I said, this is like crazy. You know, this is like, I mean, if you're going to cheat, I don't think that's how you would cheat, just div dividing everything by 4.2%. So I think there is an opportunity here to find out, you know, 52 USC 20701 is not being followed. In my own election here, you know, you deleted ballot images and people got away with that. You should be concerned about that. Signature verification, left and right. You know, we've done the first signature mismatching study. Why hasn't academics done any research on this? And I can tell you the reason why, because of people are taking this left and right approach. And it's really unfortunate. So you don't really do any, you know, people stay away from certain areas of science. I mean, we, we fortunately been accepted to two forensic document examination symposium. They're coming in August and in October. And, you know, we're going to have them in two journals, peer review journals. So there's a different approach where we put this to third party peer review tests. That's what needs to happen. Um, all of this stuff. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I know, I know that the cyber symposium is, um, yeah, but I, I, I don't think you're alone in, in not finding it super credible. What, how did you feel about the audit? Like, you know, the, which audit? You, the Maricopa audit? Sort of the results of the audit, the, the running of it. Well, yeah. So what's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so the Maricopa audit, the way it was run, I don't think it was really run as an audit. I mean, I don't think the guys who did it even knew how to run an audit. I mean, the first step, look, I've been involved in many audits. In fact, one of the things I do in another part of my life is we've created a seal very much in the area of organic food for HACCP audits where we go audits farm to table, you know? Um, and there's a thing called HACCP. Um, you know, I've uh, done many engineering audits. Um, when my companies used to get audit, there's a gap audit. The first thing you do in an audit, Doug, is people give you their compliance documents, okay? So when, you know, Deloitte or Pricewaterhouse comes to audit one of my companies, we would say, here are our documents, right? So, for example, there's gap accounting rules, right? So my CFO would give the auditors and everyone works together in collaboration, right? We say here how we're following FASB, right? How you do revenue recognition. The auditors typically take our general ledger and they'll take our SOPs and they'll say, hey, you know, we're finding some errors here. You need to redo some of your numbers. That's the first step. Now, in Maricopa, what happened was that they didn't ask fully for all the compliance document. It's called a systems audit. And on, on, on top of it, because of all the left-right divide, the county didn't give many of those compliance documents, okay? So I would have said, stop, you know, stop. We're not doing this audit right now. You see what I'm saying? Because if you don't have the rules that everyone's playing by, how can you even do an audit, Okay. The first step that should have ha happened is you go check the ballot images. You go downstream, right? You check, okay, what was the last thing that was used to create the canvas report? It is a post-adjudicated CVR results in the ballot images. And if that had been done, first you would have found, okay, those match, right? Then you would have gone one step before that and you would have found some inconsistencies. And you would have, in, in our view, we found 15,000 ballots, which are the ones that you only needed to go look on paper, Doug. So you wouldn't have had to look at all 2 million. Okay. We could have, and by the way, we never got paid for that. Okay. Um, they, the so you, all, never, you never ended up getting paid for your, we your only goal. got paid. 
we terminated our agreement with Cyber Ninjas because I lost faith in them. You know, I didn't feel they were straight. So we did get paid for our envelope image analysis, which was $50,000. And But the subsequent work we did there, you know, we did it because we did it on our own. Okay. Um, so, sorry, so, sorry, just a just quick. So was that the 50, I, there's, is that the 50K from Patrick Byrne? Nope. I, Patrick, Patrick Byrne, let me tell you about Patrick Byrne. Patrick Byrne, when he found out that I was exposing Jovan Pulitzer, uh, called me the night before and told me, please don't go, please go easy on him. And I said, Patrick, I said, this guy's a scumbag. I said, four a month, two months ago, I said, I hope you're not giving any money to him. He goes, no, 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 no. I go, this guy is absolutely putting garbage out there. Well, he was giving money to him. And I did a analysis of his garbage that he gave to the attorney general the night before that Patrick Burns says, go easy on him. And he wanted to offer me $250,000. Okay. I said, no, thank you. And then he wired Doug $50,000 into my account. And my assistant's like, where did this come from? We found out it came through him through a third party and we returned it. Okay. So Patrick Burns. Well, you, you have to understand the problem that. Because there, I, I go back to the central thesis. There are three groups involved here. And I'm not saying you or guys are part of that, but you have one group of people who just say, Oh, there's nothing here. Let's move along. Right. It's the counter reaction to Trump. Okay. And then you have the dr- grifters who've literally been making up bullshit. Like people Patrick Byrne has been supporting. China attacked our elections. You have no proof of that. They got nothing. They don't. Uh, and, and then, I mean, if you look at this guy, by the way, his name isn't even, his name is Jeffrey Fulia, P-H-I-L-Y-A-W. He claimed that he had discovered the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm aware of Paul. Okay. He's, he's, excuse my language, total scumbag. So you have him. Submitting. So, well, let me feel sort of like Doug Logan, Patrick Byrne, Jovan Pulitzer. They all sort of fit in that grifter. Yes. Well, well, Doug, Doug is a little more special. Doug, it took me a while to have my opinion on him. You know, he acts very, very sincere. Right. But I remember telling Doug, I said, Doug, I hope you're not working with this guy fully. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The next day he's on his channel streaming with him to raise money. And Doug never get, Doug gave Fulia or whatever is the ballot images in June. He never gave it to me. I finally got it in December from Ben Cotton. And Ben said, he goes, he goes, I'm puzzled. He goes, he always had the uncorrupted images. So my view is that you can take it whatever way you want, but you're talking to someone who's, who cannot be bought because I know where I come from, you know? And to me, you know, just on a side note, you know, I publish in the leading journals in the world. And this is what's hard for people to understand because they can't bucket me. You try to call me a white supremacist. You try to call me all these names. It's really awful. The nonsense. But you don't get published in Nature. You don't get published in Cell. You don't get published in the leading journals unless, you know, you you have the gravitas. So my goal has been to really understand what this was because I saw my own ballot images being deleted. 
So these guys have been bring. I mean, one of the things Fulia brought up, which I exposed, was he said 87% of ghost voters in some county in Arizona. It was just garbage. That or that that precinct is all a, a Arizona State University students. Of course, they're not going to have, you know, electric and utility bills. So these guys were just putting out garbage. So in my in my view, they did a huge disservice. To it, they created this division. They created this division. So you know, for example, when I spoke to David Graham over the Atlantic, you know, I, he wrote a very thoughtful piece. Most people said, "Oh, don't go talk to him; he's a lefty." I said, "Look, he, he wrote a very nice, thoughtful piece. He talks about an African American guy who had just come in from Africa, and he wanted to vote. He tried to vote; his vote wasn't accepted. And then he he gave a great article about curing, and he ended it where the guy goes and decides to vote in person. Okay, now." There are real issues, Doug, and those issues are all being thrown to the side because of this nonsense. So Patrick Byrne hates me now because he thought, you know, I'm I'm his little house slave. I'll jump at two hundred fifty thousand. I'll jump at fifty k. But you know, I've earned all the money that I've ever made in my life. So for people with who are about election integrity, these guys have no integrity. So, and, you know, I mailed this check back to him. I would probably say 99% of these grifters would have just pocketed it, but I sent it back. So, I think... You know, well, I yeah, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like maybe some of the conflation here, you know, maybe some of the, you know, why people may sort of look at you as being, you know, associated with them is like, you know, as like in the final, you know, Arizona Senate hearing... You know, you sort of stand up right after Logan, right? But you feel like you're sort of a well. Go, go look at the well. Go look at what I submitted to the Attorney General. I said, "Look, why didn't Doug Logan give us a ballot images?" I ream him, and everyone on the people said, "Oh, you're starting intersign warfare." I said, "Bullshit!" I said, "Sky had the ballot images and never gave it to us." This is the truth. How can you guys talk about election integrity when you have no integrity? I mean, the heat I took for exposing Pulitzer, the heat I took for exposing these ballot images, you cannot imagine. So, you know, that's why, you know, to be lumped in with those, frankly, these people who have hurt the broader context of systems approach, you know, is really unfortunate. I mean, when I was at Lindell Singh, he had this crazy stuff like China. I mean, you have no proof of any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I, I hear that. And I, you know, I feel that I think you're making a strong argument for sort of differentiating yourself from some of them. Well, when, when did you sort of first start getting in contact with Doug? Like when they called when me, started talking they called me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first, oh, actually, let me go back in November of 2020. I got a call from him to analyze some data for Georgia, okay? And and they submitted, because they were submitting something in Georgia, a woman called Sydney Powell, and that lawsuit they submitted was nuts. It was so poorly written. And you have to understand, if you, if, if you go look at the lawsuits I've done, I'm not saying I'm a lawyer, but when I did my hearing with me against the Twitter lawyers, three from Wilmer and Hale, they couldn't believe I'd done my own lawsuits, okay? So I'd learned how to do some decent work, okay? 
But the stuff they submitted, Doug, was just nonsense. Okay. It wasn't even briefed up correctly. No, I'm being serious. So that was the first time I heard. Yeah, I'm aware of the Kraken lawsuits. I've read them. <laughs> yeah. And then the next time I was invited after that by Mike, he says, you know, we need you, Dr. Shiva. We're going to meet with four senators um, and we want you to talk about stuff. And I basically talked. What's that? Well, it was an event. Mike Lindell. Okay. And Mike was the only guy that I knew in that group. And I went down to DC and at that meeting were four or five U.S. senators and their aides. And I basically presented as a technologist, the fact that, you know, these voting machines do have a feature where you can do a weighted race feature. Um, and that they should not, you know, why are these features included? And I educated them on that. At that meeting, you had Sidney Powell. I, I met Doug for the first time, uh, met Mike for the first time. Was this the January 5th meeting? Yeah, I think it was before that. Yeah, I didn't, it was January, like, uh, it was before the January 5th. It was, I forget the exact time. It was like a week or two weeks before like that. Fourth or third or? Yeah, something where I went, it was even before that. And I went, gave my piece and I left. But that's when I met Byrne and all these guys. Um, but my thing was to, my goal was, hey, let me educate lawmakers and how, how these, because I had learned in my own lawsuit, there's an organization called the National Association of State Election Directors, NACID, which by the way, also had contacted Twitter. Doug, you guys should do a separate story on this if you're interested. We should have a separate discussion about there is an unholy alliance and how the judge eventually appointed me a constitutional law attorney. He goes, he goes, your lawsuit will become a law school exam taught in every constitutional law class. Okay. It's a different stream. But um, my concern was as a technologist, why are these features being certified in voting machines? So that was where I came from, met these guys, wasn't that impressed. Um, you know, Flynn was there just yapping about China, 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 which didn't make any sense to me, you know? So, um, so that was when I first had an interaction with them. But my goal was I had my lawsuit going on which is about First Amendment issues. And then I was doing analysis, really trying to understand how these systems worked. And the Maricopa audit, I learned a tremendous amount about, you know, I understand the end-to-end -end process. And by the way, I would say there's very, very few people who know, because it is a very complex system, Doug. You have voter rolls, you have envelopes, you have the mail-in process, you have multiple tabulators, you have, it's a very complex system, process. And frankly, odd. So, so, so one, sorry, um, one of the things that I had just wanted to check with you, you know, we had been, one of the things we were looking at pretty closely was sort of this gathering on Midwood Plantation in mid-November into early December. And, you know, it's our understanding that you were in contact with a number of the people like Doug Logan and Jim Penrose and others while they were down there. And I didn't even know that. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything that. Yeah, they just contacted me because they wanted me to do Georgia. They gave me data. That's it. I didn't even know they were at some. What was it a plantation meeting? Yeah, they were there at this historical uh, plantation. Uh, yeah, but I didn't know they were at some. Yeah, no, I. they had contacted me because they wanted me to do uh, an analysis for a lawsuit that they were doing. And that was the first time we got data on a. Uh, essentially the Georgia like data that we analyzed. Yeah. But we weren't privy to any of those meetings that they had there. And what, what exactly was that analysis? Uh, the analysis was looking at 
Um, so, so for example, you get um, data, right? Streams of data on how the votes took place. And then you're looking at uh, Republican precincts, non-Republican precincts, right? And we do what's, what we call cumulative vote statistics. I could send it to you. It was, you know, I'll send you what we submitted. I mean, it's a longer discussion, but it's essentially looking for analyses of previous voting patterns, current voting patterns, and seeing any deltas, what you call different standard deviations of difference. Yeah, so then we, I actually think that I probably, will you please send it to me, but I think I probably read it several months ago. Yeah, it was, it was probably in an appendix in that, in that crazy lawsuit embedded in there somewhere. Um, but they, you know, they didn't, they didn't really go after anything, you know, serious in that one, in my view. It was very, it was a very poorly organized lawsuit. I don't even know who wrote it. Did they end up giving you like a list of equipment to like use in your lawsuit to like try and get a hold of any of these like voting machines? What, what do you, what do you mean, Doug? List of what? Oh, it would have been like a list of, um, like, you know, very specific voting component equipment. Um, we're talking to you about a list of the the guy that helped me. No, the no, the guy that helped me. I mean, I didn't know anything about these processes. You got to understand, right? When I first in September 2020, um, a guy that helped me early on was a guy by the name of John Brakey. I don't know if you know John. John, um, B R A K E Y. John's been um, about ballot images, and John got me a spreadsheet by every precinct in Massachusetts, which machines were used by, you know, like there's different uh, voting vendors. Dominion is not the only one. There's an organization called ESNS, right? Um, so I had a wonderful spreadsheet on, so I could slice and dice by precinct, by county, which counties used, um, were they hand counted, which machine they used, what kind of tabulator, what kind of scanner, optical or non-optical. So I was able to get this very detailed analysis how, how a vote was processed. But no, that makes sense. yeah, the main data piece I got because up until the, I did a tweet at one point because I started at a certain point, you know, I didn't think Trump was, uh, 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 you know, genuine about his, you, if you saw around November 4th, they went from, what was it? Their, their slogan was stop voter fraud to election fraud. And they raised about a half a billion dollars. I think you're aware of this, right? And there is a shitload of money. And I was, you know, we had, you know, I was running for office here, right? A lot of our people are independents, Trumpers. They wanted us to go down to January 6th. And I saw a bunch of people involved in this, something called Stop the Steal. You're familiar with this? Some organization. And there was a guy called Ali Alexander. And that guy is a complete, go look at his background. And I said, holy shit. I said, this stuff is just filled with nuts. And so I said, there's no way I'm going down there. And a lot of people were upset with me. And you saw what happened on January 6th. I went down there the next day. And in front of the White House, I gave a talk denouncing Trump. Because I'd come to the conclusion Trump was a master grifter. And... And it's a longer discussion that I think Trump took advantage of the American white working class. You know, he talked about this Q plan and blah, blah, blah. When there were 
substantive issues taking place. I mean, he printed a ton of money and I had the same regard for, you know, I have a different view on this. They went from Obama to Trump and both, you know, both and Trump printed in many ways more money. And then you see what's, what's, what is done to the American working class in this country. So I then did a video subsequent to that, which said, is Trump the swamp, which I got a lot of heat on. I think I lost 25% of my followers. And I just went through all the stuff that he said he was going to do this. And what did he actually do? Right. And then when I was, I was supposed to do the congressional hearing. And then at the last minute, they brought in a guy called Ken Bennett. And the morning before that, um, Trump called, Trump's office called me and, and said, Oh, do you need anything? Well, the week before that, they had endorsed a guy in Massachusetts, part of the Massachusetts GOP. In my view, they were part of the hit job that they did on my campaign, Doug. And I just was reaming, you know, the people over the Trump team. I said, what are you guys doing? I said, you're, you're saying you're against election fraud, but you just supported a guy who, you know, completely was against me running and discriminatory or racist, all this kind of stuff. So a couple of weeks later, I was invited down to Mar-a-Lago. And all of our volunteers met and I respectfully declined to go down. I said, you know, I can't really go down because, you know, what you guys did in Massachusetts. And then when I was down in Florida, I did get a chance to go down. And I had about a two hour meeting and then another hour follow up. And I left that meeting realizing that whatever people think about Trump, you know, he's surrounded by a bunch of nuts. And, you know, I've been very, very critical of that whole thing. And, uh, so it's, it's the, it's these guys don't know what to do with me because I sort of focus on the work and I'm proud of the work we do. Um, and we're taking an approach, which we think we need to take a system science approach to this. And, uh, you know, we're bringing together people on the left and the right. And I think there are real issues. And I, the reason I decided to talk to you guys, you know, and I'm being very forthright with you is because I think. You know, I have a lot of respect for what ProPublica does in the past. If you guys, I think there's really three, three paths here. Uh, and two of them essentially are hurting, you know, our opportunity to advance from an engineering standpoint, some of these systems. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I know, you know, I do think you are something of an outlier in terms of these ideas and sort of where, um, you know, where you're coming from and how you're looking at them and how some of these other uh, groups maybe do that. Um, I would love to, if you'll send me that Georgia analysis, I actually have to have off because I have a call with my editor um, at four. Um, but I really, I, I, want, I, I do appreciate you sort of walking me through all this um, and, you know, uh, giving me like a, a very detailed rundown of your thoughts. And I, I think that all, what you're saying makes sense. Um, so if you'll send me that George's yeah, I'll send you that. that. And I'd love to sort of follow up. Um, yeah, yes. I, I, I do appreciate this talk. And I, it, it, um, you know, I, I think I see a few things clear. So yeah, go look at the, yeah, go look at the, yeah, do that forward. and go look at the ballot image analysis, Doug, where I basically exposed the whole cyber ninjas guys. Okay. And that was submitted to the Arizona right. Senate and to the attorney general. All right. I, I appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, that. Doug. Be well. Take care.